What a great theme in all the music this morning. Praising God, blessing God. And our text is going to be from Jeremiah 7, verses 1 through 11, where the people were blessing God and praising God externally only, as you'll see. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then... I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to you of old, to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks for coming. You can be seated. And let's bow. Father, we come to you thanking you that we can even come to you in prayer. It's only because of Jesus Christ. It's only because of the righteousness of another. We come to you. We know we come to you with an alien righteousness, one that's not our own. And so, Lord, I come to you in his name this morning asking for help. Help me to preach the word rightly, accurately, lovingly, and boldly. And I pray, of course, for all of us listeners that you would help us to receive it rightly. And help us to have the grace to live it. Lord, give us the want to walk in the truth. Give us the want to walk in obedience. Give us the want to love you more than the things of the world, more than the things of the flesh. Lord, you must overcome our stubborn and often rebellious hearts. Please continue to do that. Lord, even for those of us that know you, please continue to be conquering our flesh and helping us to love Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's interesting because um, Jeremiah was not just living amongst a lot of rank pagans. He wasn't. He was actually living among Jews, called by God to be the Jews. We know that. Under, people under God's covenant, which is why they were actually receiving this message in the first place. They were God's special people. They were under God's covenant, a covenant they said at the mountain when it was given, we will obey. The forefathers said this. But God, of course, knew better, and he said, there's a time coming when you will rebel against me, and a nation will come and invade you. And God was consistent with that message all throughout the Old Testament because there were hundreds of years between this book and when the law was given at Mount Sinai, hundreds 
So God was consistently sending them a message of repentance. Come back to me. Repent. And this won't fall upon you. So, it's similar to our day. We're not just swarmed and swamped by a bunch of rank pagans. Lord, we know that even some of the people that walk in open, blatant sin will even claim to also be somewhat religious or at least what they call spiritual. So, we can identify a lot with what's about to happen here. We can identify a lot with it. I've titled the message this morning, Can Religious Activity Live With Wrong Actions? Can religious activity live with wrong actions? Can they dwell together? Can they exist together? Because that's exactly what's happening here. That's exactly what happens here. For those of you listening online, I'm, I'm pointing to here. I don't necessarily mean in this building, God forbid. But if it, if it is, this, this message is especially for you this morning. I just mean here, especially in the South, but especially in our nation. We do hear a lot of God talk, even from Godless people. Religious activity, we know, won't atone for wrong actions. According to the Word of God, it won't. Religious activity won't atone for wrong actions, which is really the emphasis of this section. So let's jump right into this section. Look what it says. You may have noticed there's a lot of repetition in verses 1 through 3 of a certain thing. See if you can pick it up when I read through them again. The word, of, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who entered the gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. And you pick up that in verses 1 through 3, there's an emphasis in each verse, verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3, there's, there's an emphasis that this message, that this word, that this truth is from the Lord. In verse 1, it says, the word that came to Jeremiah, from where? From the Lord. In verse 2, he says, hear the word of the Lord. And then in verse 3, when he starts speaking, he says, Thus says the Lord. Why is it repeated so often? Why emphasize three times for us that this is from God? Well, you probably already know the answer. There's an emphasis there because they need to know this message is from God. God. This word is from God. This truth is from God. God is the authority. God's the author of truth, life, reality. This is of God. And Jeremiah was making that clear to them because they thought they were doing things of God. And he's saying, now let me actually tell you what God really says what God's really like, what your reality actually is. And we all need that. We all need that. Because you're daily told that you're the authority. You could do what you want, and it's going to go well with you. Do whatever you feel like doing, and it's going to be fine. 
And that's just a lie. That's just a lie. It feels right, though, doesn't it? It feels right. Yeah, I'll do what I want to do, even if it differs from what this old book says. It's an old Jewish book. It really doesn't have that much weight after all. Haven't we evolved past it? No. Because like we sang earlier, we are made in the likeness of God. We're made in the image of God. And God's word is what we need. And God's word is what they needed. And so he emphasized it three times that this is from God. What's from God? Well, this is what he says. This is how he starts his message. Amend, verse 3, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. What's that word, amend? Well, let me tell you this, how it's translated elsewhere in the Bible. This word, amend, in Hebrew, is actually translated elsewhere in the Bible in, in, in different ways. It's translated as the word, better, sometimes. It's translated as the phrase, do well, do good, go well, even. So, what's the point here? He's actually saying, he's actually saying this. Make your ways better. Make your ways well. Make them good. Do well with your ways. It's a changing of your ways so that they're better than they were before. It's a changing of your ways so that you now do well and do good. It's a changing of your ways so that your ways now go well. It's a changing of your ways. Period. And it must be real. It must be authentic. You don't like it when somebody is fake with you, do you? You don't like it when somebody just pretends, do you? You can even sometimes spot it when people are inauthentic, when they're just trying to sell you something. I don't mean sell you something physically, maybe then, of course but trying to paint reality different than it really is. You can even pick up on that. Do you think the Lord can't pick up on that? Who knows all? Listen to what Matthew Henry said about this changing of the ways that God is saying has to be done here, this amending of the ways, this doing better, doing well. He said, they must thoroughly amend in making good, they must make good their ways and doings. They must reform with resolution. And it must be a universal, constant, preserving reformation. Not partial, but entire. Not hypocritical, but sincere. Not wavering, but constant. That's what the Lord wants from them. A real change. Real. Not just in word or external action only. Not just in religious works because their wicked deeds were showing what was in their hearts their wicked deeds were showing what was in their hearts our wicked deeds flow out of who we are I don't mean that if you sin Therefore, you are totally 100% from that point on defined from that. We as Christians know that we continue to walk in sin. However, it's not who we are anymore. That's why it feels so bad to us. That's why it tastes so bitter to us. That's why we have to get rid of it and confess it. We want to. I'm talking about 
consistent wickedness, a pattern of wickedness, unrepentant wickedness. Their wicked deeds were showing what was really in their hearts. There was no real change within, or else it would have shown itself by a changed life. No, instead they were focused on the superficial and the external, especially their religious phraseology, how they were talking. Look at this in verse 4. Do not trust in these deceptive words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You might be saying, what is that about? Why Why did they say this phrase three times? Well, they thought, and just saying the phrase, well, first of all, you need to know this. In the Jewish mind, and in the Jewish understanding, taking something to the third level of repetition is a big deal. Think about the one attribute of God that gets repeated three times in the Bible, that God is holy, holy, holy. Exactly. Some of you are already thinking about it, already wording it on your mouth. I could see it. And so in the Jewish mind, repeating something thrice showed its significance. And so them standing in the temple of the Lord and saying those words, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. In their mind, they were saying, it's important, it's important, it's important. It is important. And the fact that we're here in it is important. Just us being here is important and good. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said about this. False prophets assured them that the presence of God's temple in Jerusalem guaranteed the nation God's blessing and protection from every enemy. Of course, this wasn't faith. It was blind superstition, and Jeremiah quickly shattered their illusions. They thought, just the fact that we have the temple means we're good. Just the fact that we have the temple and that we come there sometimes and make a religious show means everything is fine. The presence of the temple thrice repeated or not, didn't guarantee God's favor upon you simply because it was there and simply because you mentioned it three times, especially if you were living in direct disobedience to his word. So Jeremiah was there to shatter their superstitions just like I would like to shatter some of yours. Wearing a cross around your neck while ignoring God's clear commands, doesn't make God smile upon you. It doesn't. That's a modern-day superstition we have. A piece of metal with two bars crossing each other doesn't magically make God smile upon you when you're living in direct disobedience to his word. It doesn't. Also, coming to church once or twice a month while living in blatant disregard to his word doesn't make God smile upon you. Saying things like, have a blessed day or God bless America also doesn't make God smile upon you while you're living in direct disobedience to his word. None of that matters when you're blatantly, willfully, rebelliously going against the word of God. None of it matters, just like them standing in the temple and saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, here we are in it, doing religious-y things while we still rebel against what he's actually told us. 
You want to know what pleases God? You want to know what makes God smile? Though I'm not against wearing crosses, of course I'm definitely not against coming to church, and I'm not against you saying, have a blessed day or God bless America. I'm not against any of that. You want to know what really makes God smile? Let me read to you what makes God smile. We don't have to guess. It's in the word of God. Actually, all the answers that we need for life and godliness are here in this book, which is why the devil so often tempts you to disregard it, not read it, make you busy, and get away from it. You've heard the saying, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. That's not in the scriptures, but I think it's often true. <laughs> what does please God? What does make God smile? Luke 15, 7, this is Jesus speaking. He said, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Sinners repenting creates joy in heaven. That makes God smile. People saying, this is wicked. I've done it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and make me turn from it. I want to turn from it. Please. That makes God smile. He says it again. Jesus says it again three verses later in Luke 15, 10. I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That makes God smile. Turning away from your sin. <laughs> Want to know what else makes God smile? What else pleases the Lord? Who the Lord looks upon with favor? Listen to this from Isaiah 66, 2. I've got a slide for this one. Isaiah 66, 2. These are the ones I look on with favor. Tell us, God, who? Who do you look on with favor, God? Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Those who are humble, contrite in spirit, and tremble at my word. They're humble, meaning they understand their right position. They know they're needy, and God's the great giver. They know that they need forgiveness, and he's the great forgiver. Yes? They also are contrite in spirit. They're not proud. They know that I deserve nothing good. I must repent daily of my sins. My sins are ever before me, like David says in Psalm 51. I see them, but I also see you. And then they tremble at my word, meaning they say, this word is precious, holy, and true altogether. And I need it. It is a special gift from God to me. Oh, it's amazing. And I tremble at it because I have a right fear of God. Those are the ones that make God happy. Have you ever wondered those two different facts that I just gave you? Now, verses 5 through 7 are interesting because verses 5 through 7, as we move on here, give us an if-then statement. If, then. We find our two ifs in verses 5 and 6. We find our then in verse 7. So let's look at them. What's the first if Statement, verse 5. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, and then here's our second if, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and the third if, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, we're going to get to the then in just a second. All these ifs that he's saying out, like if you execute justice, well, that's one thing he made very clear in the law and actually gave a lot of things to make sure justice would be executed in the land. He laid it out for them. They just simply had to walk in it. 
And they were not. See, that's why he's saying this. They were not being just. They weren't treating one another rightly, but wrongly. What else does he say? If you don't oppress the sojourner. See, each one of these have specific verses I could take you to in the law and show you where he specifically laid out how they're supposed to do this rightly and to not do it wrongly. There's a verse in Deuteronomy 24 about how to treat the sojourner. What's a sojourner? Children are like, I don't know that word. No problem. Someone who's passing through. He's just there for a time. Maybe a day laborer who's just looking for work and he keeps going. These are usually poor people. And so, you're not to oppress them or to treat them rightly. They're poor. They have very little that they can do back to you. They have very little rights that they, can, they can't have a lot of authority over anything because they're, they're in such great need. They have no leverage that they can bend or anything like that. They're very easy to oppress, therefore. They're very easy to take advantage of. And that's what the people of Israel were doing. And God specifically told them not to treat people that way, simply because you can. The fatherless, the widow, shedding innocent blood, all that was happening. There's commands, there's laws for all this. Going after other gods, if you turn from all that, he says, what's going to happen? Here's the then statement. That's all the if, which means you have a choice here. You can choose to obey me. You can choose to listen to what I'm saying as God, the authority, speaking through the mouthpiece of Jeremiah, or you can continue on in your wicked ways. However, if you do turn, if you do heed what I'm saying to me, and by faith, believe and walk in it, then you can expect this, verse 7. Then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. So the then that they can expect, if all the ifs happen, if repentance happen, if a true, real, thorough change through repentance and faith happens, is that they can continue to dwell in the promised land. No judgment will come upon them. This is one of those gems. If you read the prophets, almost every single one of the prophets, and they're kind of fun to look for actually within the writings of the prophets, there's these little glimpses of, but I'll do this if you turn. Because there's all this judgment talk, judgment talk, judgment talk, which they deserve. Okay, they brought it upon themselves. And then there's these little gems within the prophets of, but I'll do this if you turn back to me. This will happen. And here's one of them. He's saying, no judgment's going to come upon you. you. You get to continue to live in the land. That nation that I said that's going to come and invade you and totally conquer you and wipe out the young and the old in the streets and everything and then capture you and enslave you. That won't happen. And that's what he's saying here. God will not cause the, the Babylonians to invade them, defeat them, capture them, enslave them. And when you and I repent of our sins, really, truly, and thoroughly, because we believe what the Word of God says about our sin, we believe what the Word of God says about judgment, we believe what the Word of God says about Jesus and Him taking the judgment that we deserve, then we can also know that we've escaped judgment. 
That's a good, that's, that's that good news for us, that little pocket of, wow, I can expect this if I turn from my sin. I can expect this if by faith I believe. Absolutely, you can. How do you know that, Cohen? Because the Bible says so. It's a thus saith the Lord. They could remain in the land. They would be unpunished, not judged. Receive mercy and grace. So God's ready to give any sinner who repents. The angels are waiting to rejoice in heaven over some sinner that repents, even this morning. You can create joy in heaven. Did you know that? You can create a heavenly party by turning from your sin truly and believing truly. But verse 8, unfortunately, shows uh, where their trust actually lies. Unfortunately, at this moment where it lies. It doesn't have to stay there, but this is where it is currently. Look at verse 8. Unfortunately, they're not trusting in God's words. They're trusting in man's. Look at verse 8. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Now, we don't even have to guess where are these deceptive words coming from. We just had three sermons on where they're coming from. Remember that? False prophets and fake priests. They're the ones telling them, peace, peace, everything's fine. Don't worry. Yes, 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 I know what the crazy prophet over there is telling you. And I know what some people say the old book says. But believe me, everything's fine. Everything's just fine. You're going to be okay. There's a saying, don't trust, verify. Any man, any man who's holding this book, even your pastor who's holding this book and telling you, this is what it says or this is what it doesn't say, I won't have my feelings hurt at all if you say, you know, I'm going to just double check you on that. I'll say, good, praise Jesus. Have somebody who actually wants to dig for truth, good, please do that. Please do that. And this is what they should have done and not just believed men who were wearing the right clothing. Verse 8 is where their belief lies in the deceptive words of these men. And verse 9 are the actions that flow out of that belief. Look at this. So verse 8 is where their belief lies. You trust in deceptive words. Verse 9 is the lifestyle that flows out of believing falsehoods. Look at verse 9. Will you steal? One of the Ten Commandments. Murder? One of the Ten Commandments. Commit adultery? One of the Ten Commandments. Swear falsely? One of the Ten Commandments. Make offerings to Baal? One of the Ten Commandments. And go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying exactly what I was saying at the beginning. They're walking in blatant disobedience to the word of God. This time he's just listing out some from the top ten. And guess what? This is not hypothetical, saying, you know, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't swear. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't steal. So just, you know, just to let you know. No, no, no. They were doing these things. If you've been reading from the Old Testament to this point, 
you would have seen records of the people of Israel doing every single one of these things. Every one of them, Cohen? Absolutely, yes. Stealing, lying, adultery. They were doing all of it. So this is not hypothetical. This is not saying, you know, just make sure you avoid those things. No, they were in it. They were in it. Deep. And liking it. And being told it's okay. Sound familiar? Any of that happening in our day? Something that the word of God says is wrong, but other people out there in the world, even other people that have religious clothes on, telling us it's okay? Any of that happening? 100%. 100%. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter therein. But narrow and small is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Wrong belief always results in wrong actions. Wrong doctrine always produces wrong deeds. Did you know that? Wrong doctrine always produces wrong deeds. Because we live what we believe. Believing false doctrine will result in false repentance, which produces false worship. That's a domino effect. Listen to what R.C. Sproul said. False worship yields false security. That's exactly what they had, right? This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We're safe. But who were they actually worshiping? Not Yahweh, not the one true God, because we worship God in his way. We worship God based on his truth, not something that I've invented, because I like it better. And that's going on today Big time. You just listen to people. You just listen to people talk. And they'll give you clues all day long because they'll usually start with phrases like this. Well, I think... You know what that shows me? You've existed a God. You've, you've invented a God based on what you think. I've been trying to, of course, train myself over the years. And even Amy was talking to a Jehovah's Witness yesterday who came to our door and she said uh, she was saying to them I believe and then later on she came to me and told me she said oh I said I believe and I said well that's better than I think (laughs) and because at least you're showing you believe something she said but it would have been better like you tell me and like you tell us would have been better if I would have just said the Bible says and I said exactly but hey we're all growing (laughs) that's our authority Because that's really what it boils down to at the end of the day. We're standing on this as the authority. And man is standing on himself as the authority. And that's really, when you boil it all down, that's really what it's all about. Is we believe that God Almighty has spoken through holy men of old who were inspired by God to write this book. And that's really what it boils down to. Doesn't it? When you go back from it all, what? Well, okay, well, why do you believe that? Okay, well, why do you believe that? Well, why do you believe that? Our last answer is because that's what the Word of God says. That's our last answer. We stand on this book unashamedly, unashamedly. We are more and more of an anomaly every decade. I heard Albert Moeller saying one day that this 
reporter, young lady reporter, uh, met him. I think it was almost by accident. And she found out that he was one of these people who really, truly believe that the Bible is the word of God and believe in six literal days of creation and all these things. And he said, it was almost like she discovered something she, she'd only ever heard about. She said, oh, like, oh, you're, you're one of them. I've, I've heard about people like you. And she was so intrigued and was answering all these, asking him all these questions because it's almost like, oh, you, you people do exist. You, I've heard about you all. You guys are a strange bunch. We are becoming a shrinking minority, at least in this country. But let me tell you the good news about other countries. There are other countries south of the equator that the gospel is exploding in those countries. And praise God for it. Praise God for it. I'm so thankful for that. So false worship yields false security, which these people had, which leads to verse 10. Look at verse 10. We've only got two verses left. Hang with me. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered only to go on doing your abomination. See, that's what all this false worship leads to, this false security that they have. They thought, we're, we, we are delivered, we're fine. And then they just keep on doing the wickedness. There's no change. And then verse 11. You saw something in verse 11 that you thought only existed in the New Testament. What's it say? Has this house, which is called by my name, become what? A den of robbers in your eyes. Ah, you thought Jesus just made that up. No, Jesus borrowed that from Jeremiah chapter 7. There's so much Old Testament that you need. There's so much Old Testament in the New Testament. Don't rob yourself. Please visit the Old Testament Often. That's why I've actually preached from you all more from the Old Testament in my four years here than I have from the New. Um, well, I might be 50-50 right now, but once we finish this, I'll be back to 60-40. Um, is one better than the other? Heavens, no. They're all together equal and the same. This is one glorious book, and so much of it. 37 of those books, no, 39 of those books are, are, are the Old Testament. 27 are the New. Don't rob yourself. Visit the Old Testament often, and you'll see so much of the New actually comes from the Old. And so the Lord says, has this house, the temple, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. I don't know if you noticed this repetition, though, in verses 10 and 11. He talks about his house, which is called by my name. And he says it again, this house, which is called by my name. You need to understand they were also breaking another of the Ten Commandments. They were taking the name of the Lord in vain. They were not respecting that name as holy and precious and true. They were using it while defaming it, drawing it through the mud with their lifestyles. The temple of the Lord. And I'm standing in this temple with all my sin that I don't care about. Let's not be like them. Let's not pretend to take the name Christian and walk contrary to Christ. Because to be a Christian means to be a Christ follower. So please don't defame his name. 
I say, oh, I'm a Christian. And I also walk totally in contradiction to everything he loves. And I don't really care. Let's not be like that. I was once like that. Before I was saved, I was very deceived. And deceived people don't know they're deceived. The Lord had to open my eyes. And I'm so glad that he did. So just like in Jesus' day when the Jews in Jerusalem were extorting those weary travelers who were coming to Jerusalem to worship, charging inflated prices for um, the sacrifices, some of the money changers, remember? Or giving grossly unbalanced rates for that. Just like they were doing all those things, doing very religious things at the temple after all, making sure people had what they needed to worship God in the temple, all the people who were selling animals and, and changing the money. After all, aren't we helping these people worship? Well, you're taking horrible advantage of them on purpose to line your pockets with no regard to what's supposed to be happening in this temple. Why does God, why does man even come to that temple in the first place to worship God, to meet with God? It was all focused on self, and it ignored the fact that this was all about approaching a holy God, and that's why Jesus was so angry. This is one of the only times in Scripture, well, one of the main times that we see Jesus angry. We don't see Jesus angry often in the Scriptures. A few times. This was the main time. And it was a righteous anger. And it was supposed to be there because men were supposed to be worshiping God. And these Jews were turning it into a den of thieves just like long ago. In the temple, doing religious things while stealing from people on purpose extorting them, knowing, what are you going to do? Travel seven more days back home and get a cheaper animal and bring it all the way back with you? Is that what you're going to do? No? Well, then pay my price. Get over it. Hey, this, this exchange rate was way more than a few months ago when I came for that feast. Well, what are you going to do? You going to go get your Jerusalem money from somewhere else, buddy? Huh? Pay the price. Get over it. And these were Jews who would then, the next day, worship just like everybody else. Thieves, robbers, liars, extortioners. And Jesus saw right through it all. That's why he turned over their tables and chased their animals out. One of the only times that we see Jesus angry. The verse... There's a verse in the Psalms that talks about the sun being angry. Did you know that? It's very interesting. Look at this. Psalm 2, verses 11 and 12, and then we're almost done. Psalm 2, verses 11 and 12. We have a slide for that. Yep. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Did we hear that earlier? Trembling at his word. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take ref refuge in him. Did David understand that this was the son, Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he was writing this? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so, that he understood it perfectly, no. But he was writing with the Holy Spirit inspired. Cohen, are you saying that this is talking about Jesus Christ? I believe so. Yes, I do. 
Did David get that perfectly? No. But we have it now. There's something called progressive revelation. Little by little, God revealed more and more and more of himself through the scriptures. If you want to know how to make the Lord not angry, well, worship him with fear, trembling, kiss the sun. See, these verses really show us what we've already been seeing, don't they? The key to avoiding false worship and simply thinking religious activity is enough is this, having a proper fear of God that comes from a right trust in God's word because that's how Jeremiah started off. Thus says the Lord. So in conclusion, when you see God for who he really is, and you begin to have a proper respect and a proper reverence and a right regard for his name, his name to be hallowed, to be seen as holy, and you see also that his son came to rescue you from your sins through his death, burial, and resurrection, and then only through real repentance from your sin and genuine faith in him, that's when you rightly worship God. And you won't even have to worry about a false facade because your worship will come from love, love for God. It'll flow out because you want it to. You'll finally want to worship God rightly. And that's the way to do it, through Christ. Father, we pray, asking that you would please keep us from the sin of these people. Lord, of course, it is very easy to go through the motions, and I pray that you would keep us from ever doing that, Lord. Give us a right heart to worship you, Lord. So, as we saw, help us to have a right fear of you, Lord. A right healthy fear, not one of uh, paralyzing fear, but of reverence, respect, love for the word that causes us to walk in humility, that, that causes us to act justly, Lord, that causes us to be like Jesus, we love you. We thank you for him especially. We pray this in his name. Amen.